Hey, good morning, everybody. RCC all over the churches. So glad to have all of you here. I, I'm glad to be here. I, I love coming down to Florida. It's always a little warmer, a little more humid. It's amazing. So uh, glad glad to be here. Um, hey, and happy belated Thanksgiving to everybody. I don't I don't know what your favorite holiday is. I was trying to figure out for me, like, what's my favorite holiday? Halloween's pretty awesome because you get to dress up and eat a lot of candy. It's really hard to go wrong with, with Halloween. Um, in fact, at, at our house on Halloween, we create like a community event where we we scared the bejesus out of everybody, and uh, it's pretty awesome. We had about a thousand kids come to our house on Halloween. No joke. Um, it's like it's like a real deal. Um, so I dressed up as a clown with a chainsaw, and um, we gave out uh, ice cream from a really scary ice cream truck. So anyway, I'm a pastor. It's pretty cool. So. Um, <laughs> So Halloween's pretty awesome. Christmas is awesome, but Christmas sets me up for disappointment because I've got a few kids in my home that like their love language is giving of gifts, and there's just no way to keep up with that and be effective. And so it's just always disappointing. Like my favorite day of the year for my youngest daughter is December the 26th because I've passed the, the moment of, of really making her depressed. So I'm always glad to get past that. Thanksgiving is amazing if you think about it. There, there's no gifts involved, so nobody gets disappointed. Um, and it's okay to be gluttonous. Like it's okay to sin that day. It's like you're expected to do that. And so when I started thinking about it, I, I kind of think that Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Um, the, the one problem with Thanksgiving is that you usually are with family and there's always that one weird person in your family. If, if you don't know who that weird person is in your family, it's probably you. That's why you don't know who it is. But, but there's always that one weird person in the family. But other than that, Thanksgiving is, is pretty great. I mean, I, I love Thanksgiving. I prepare for Thanksgiving. I don't know that if you prepare, you should start preparing if you don't. It's kind of like a marathon and a sprint, right? And you would never show up to a marathon having not prepared. I mean, maybe you would, but it would not go well for you. And so Thanksgiving is kind of like that. It takes some preparation. Now, I, I'm sure on the cooking side, it takes a lot of preparation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the eating side preparation. Um, I, I, I think you should start on Monday. You, you really got to expand your stomach a lot and then you got to empty it. So you eat a lot on Monday to kind of stretch the thing out. But then Tuesday, Wednesday, you got to purge things. So you got to like get empty. So you walk into Thanksgiving like really prepared, you know. Um, I, I think it's the only day of the year that men, you are allowed to wear maternity pants from your wife. <laughs> Because you're going to have a food baby anyway. You might as well be prepared with your pants. I, I've never really done that, though. I, I go with sweatpants a lot. And there's really two reasons. Sweatpants are amazing because, one, they have the elastic waistband, right? So you can expand. But, two, because of meat sweats. And you're already prepared with your sweatpants. So you think about that later. So... So it's really a great holiday when you think about it. I mean, it's so much fun. Um, there are so many traditions. We go to my in-laws' house, which for some of you, you're like, oh, that's my nightmare. But for me, it's really great. Our in-laws are they're way above average. And so we, we, we don't mind going there. Uh, my my mother-in-law is an incredible cook. She's super sweet. My wife's an incredible cook. She brings a bunch of food. All the sister-in-laws in our family, they're great too. I mean, it's just awesome. So they make all this great food and we are so grateful we get to eat all their great food. I feel bad, kind of. They, they spend hours making it and it's like seven minutes man it's like over I mean it's like a bomb went off of mac and cheese and tryptophan and all that it's amazing but but it's so great um, there is one tradition I, I do hate at Thanksgiving and I don't know if your family does this we, we do this and, and maybe you've already thought about this before maybe you did this this past Thanksgiving but we always go around before we eat and my, my mother-in-law makes everybody say one thing that they're grateful for before we eat 
And all this food is there and it's all hot and, and, and we're all smelling it. And then we got to go around and everybody has to say one thing. Now, honestly, as an adult, it's easy for me to say one thing I'm grateful for. I mean, I've had 364 days to come up with something, right? So it's not that difficult. But for my kids, I hate the tradition. And here's why. I feel like it's a litmus test for my parenting. Because we're going to get to my four kids, right? And they're going to have to answer this question. Like my oldest child, she's 20, right? She's an adult. We get to her, she's, she's figured this out now. Like she knows how to answer it in a way that makes me look good. I appreciate that about her, you know? She's kind of on brand with that. So she says like, I'm really thankful for my parents, especially my father, you know? And I'm like, yes, I'll pay for your next semester of college. That's amazing, you know? And, and then we get down the line, right? We get towards my younger kids. Like my, my youngest son, man, he, he's a sophomore in high school. Anyhow, that weird high school thing, you know? We're, we go to him, we're like, what are you thankful for? He's like... I don't know, Christmas? And I'm like, Christmas, it's Thanksgiving, man. Like, don't skip the holiday, you know, he's, but he's the gift thing, you know? So I, I get it, you know? In fact, let, let me do this for a minute. Before we kind of continue, I don't know if you got to do this at your Thanksgiving festival or not. You should do this if you haven't. So here's what I want you to do. Just take a second, turn to somebody beside you. Even if you don't know them, that's even more fun if you don't. Just say one thing that you are grateful for. Just one thing you're grateful for, okay? Everybody turn to somebody beside you. One thing you're grateful for. Say it out loud really quick. All right, you ready? All right, all of our churches, here we go. So here, here's what I know happened. I don't even know what Bluntstown, I'm sure this happened in your, your location. Like some, some, some wife turned to their husband and said, oh, you. And the husband said, oh, cheesesteaks. So <laughs> deal with that on the way home or something. But so when I thought about this with my kids, you know, and, and we go around the room and they're trying to come up with something. And I'm like, man, my kids have it so good. Like there is so much that they can be thankful for. And I don't mean like, like you have it so good. I had it so bad. I mean, I didn't walk up hills both ways to school in the snow or anything weird like that. I mean, I grew up in Atlanta. I mean, if anything, I just walked through humidity. So there was no, it wasn't that hard for me, man. You know, like, and, and for my kids, they do have it really good though. And part of me just wants them to realize how good they have it. In fact, if we took this kind of Thanksgiving tradition, go around the room and say what you're grateful for, if we took it seriously, we, we would go on for hours. I mean, the, the lunch would turn into a dinner before we started eating because we could talk for hours about things we, we could be or probably should be thankful for. Um, if you just talked about the kind of basics, the material possessions, that's ours. I mean, my kids alone could go on, right? I mean, two of them have cars. That, that, that's something to be thankful for. Uh, one of them has an electric car that I pay for the electricity. That's something that he should be thankful for, right? And maybe not thankful that his car is electric. That's like a really nice golf cart. But, you know, I bought it for him. He should be thankful. Like, they should be thankful for Xbox and Fortnite. I mean, they should be thankful for all the things that they have, the clothes, the shelter. I mean, there's so much to be thankful for just materially, right? But, but if then if we really got serious, we could go beyond the basics. Like, we could be thankful for health. This past Thursday, I mean, everybody in our home, relatively healthy, at least physically, maybe not emotionally, but, but physically, you know, pretty healthy. Like, we could, we could be thankful for our family. 
We're very blessed that we have the children we have. I know a lot of families are, are unable to have children, have struggled with that, and we're, we're so blessed to have a family. We're, we're, we're blessed to have extended family that we don't mind being around for at least 12 hours or so. Um, we, we, we could be thankful for the fact that we have a house, that our cars have houses, they call them garages. I mean, it, be thankful for the food that we have. The majority of the world doesn't know where the next meal is coming from, and here we are just gorging ourselves. There's more leftovers than most people will see in a week, and it's just leftover for us, right? I mean, there is so much, so much that we could be, be thankful for. In fact, when I think about this with my kids, you know what I really want them to have, and Paul brought this up last week, what I really want my kids to have is this attitude of gratitude. That's what I want them to have. And, and the reason is partially because of what Paul said. I mean, you know, your, your gratitude really does determine the kind of person that you are. If you're a grateful person, you're a more positive person. If you're ungrateful, you end up being a more negative person, and people want to be around positive people. Like, I want my kids to want to be around other people, and I want other people to want to be around my kids. Like one day, I hope somebody wants to marry one of my kids. Like all four of them get married one day. Being positive will help that happen, you know? Like I would like to have grandkids. I mean, like in 50 years, not like next week. But I guess some point, right, being, being grateful is going to contribute to all sorts of goodness. But, but even in their careers and all of their relationships, right, gratitude is going to play a huge part in that. So I really do want them to have this attitude of gratitude. In fact, we started thinking about this a long time ago because as our kids started becoming teenagers, we realized that they were kind of ungrateful. Like it's a little part of the human condition. I don't know if it's just a sinful thing in us or not, but, but we started thinking, wow, we, we really wish our kids were more grateful. And I had a brilliant idea. I thought I should take our kids individually over time on a mission trip. Have you ever been on a mission trip? Like, it's impossible to go on a mission trip and come back and not be changed. Like, I'm thinking, if I could take my kids on a mission trip, like, we would be in some poverty-stricken third-world area, and, and they would be seeing these kids, and they would go, oh, man, it's taking so hard, long for Fortnite to load. And I'm like, really? They haven't eaten in three days. Like, your Xbox ain't that big a deal, you know? Like, I thought this is a foolproof plan. And so I had this incredible opportunity that came up, uh, this organization called Compassion International. You may have heard of them. Uh, you can sponsor children through Compassion International. It's like 35 bucks a month. You should all go home and do this. The, it, it is an incredible organization. You give $35 a month. It provides for these children in these remote, poverty-stricken villages and communities an opportunity for education, for spiritual growth and development. I mean, it's just the greatest thing. They're such a good organization. They, they were taking a trip with some pastors uh, to Ecuador. And they asked me if I wanted to go. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to go. And they said, you can bring one person with you. And most people are bringing their spouses. And I'm like, I have a better idea. My spouse is already pretty grateful. Can I bring one of my stinking children with me? Because if they can go with me to Ecuador and see what poverty really looks like, it will be impossible for them to be ungrateful. It will change everything about their stinking, poor, little, sad hearts. It's going to be perfect, you know? So they said, sure, you can bring a kid with you. And so I asked my oldest daughter, hey, do you want to go to Ecuador with me? It's going to be so awesome. I built it up. I didn't tell her about the poor stuff. I just told her about how awesome it was going to be, you know? And I didn't tell her this, but like internally I labeled this trip. I called it the, the gratitude, attitude, missionary experience adjustment. Because <laughs> that's what was about to happen. We were about to have an adjustment of the heart. Because she was going to interact with some people that she didn't even know existed. And it was going to change everything in her because of it. 
So we were so excited. We got on the plane in Atlanta, flew out to Quito. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Ecuador. We, we flew into Quito, and I was really disappointed when we got in, off the plane because Quito was like Atlanta. I mean, we, we got off the plane. There's skyscrapers. We stayed in the Four Seasons that first night. I'm like, hey, man, like, where are the poor people at? Like, this, this, isn't, this isn't that helpful, you know? I mean, we had breakfast the next morning in this beautiful, you know, hotel. I mean, had the best coffee I'd ever had straight from the, you know, mountains of Ecuador. I mean, it was like, hey, I don't, I'm not really enjoying this when my heart's getting, it's actually getting worse, not getting better, you know? That, that morning later, though, we were lucky. We got to get on a bus and we drove out with all the other people on the trip. And we drove into the mountains of Ecuador. Um, Ecuador is really cool. It's kind of on the equator, but uh, the altitude makes it really cold, especially when you get into the mountains. And so we traveled into this kind of remote mountain village where the majority of people who have jobs work on flower plantations. But of course, the majority of people don't have jobs. They don't have any source of income, which means these children are going hungry every single day, except for the communities where compassion has been able to be involved. And so we went to this compassion community and saw 500 or more kids uh, that would go without food if it weren't for the people sponsoring them and the, the, fi- the funding behind that that provided for school and shelter and, of course, for food. We, we got there just before lunch, and they asked us if we could serve lunch. And so we got to serve lunch to all these beautiful little children. And, of course, the lunch to us looked disgusting. The kids loved it. They were so grateful. In fact, every single kid that we gave a lunch to said, thank you, thank you. They didn't know much English, but they had learned that because they were so grateful. I was watching my daughter serve these little children, and I'm thinking, I hope she's hearing them say thank you, because she's going to start being more thankful, right? We, we left that mountain community, and we got into a little plane. The next morning, we flew to the Amazon River Basin. We got to ride in these really long canoe things. It was kind of scary because of the piranha, but we, we, we drove through the Amazon River area uh, to this other little remote village. Same thing, though, right? Different, different community, different kind of temperament client, climate, but same thing, you know. In fact, while we were there in that second community, doing the same thing, serving lunches, we uh, went, went and worked with the, with the persons at their home. They were trying to cut back a bunch of weeds from their garden, and they gave us all machetes. And I thought, this is not going to go well. But um, my, my 12-year-old was like, yeah, give me a machete. And so we went in the backyard, and we cut down a bunch of weeds and stuff and um, got to watch how they lived and worked every day. Just so, such hard workers. It was incredible. In fact, one of the kids that we met didn't have a sponsor while we were there. And so Compassion uh, asked us if we, if we would be willing to maybe sponsor this child. My daughter's like, yes, you know, we will definitely. So we spent the whole afternoon with this child and this kid's family, and we got to kind of hang out with the kid that we still sponsor to this day. I mean, I'm thinking this has got to be changing her whole entire outlook on life, you know? So we, we got on a plane we, from Quito. We went back towards Atlanta. And as we were flying over to get home, I started asking her some things. I started asking her about the trip. I'm like, hey, what was your favorite part of the trip? Hey, what did you think about the kid we got to meet? Isn't that special that we got to meet the kid we sponsor? I mean, I'm going on and on. And you know what I'm doing? I'm setting her up. I'm really setting her up for the big question. Aren't you so grateful? That was the big question I was about to get to. And, and right before I asked it, I paused for a second. I'm not really sure why I pause because I typically don't pause before I speak. I usually just speak and then think later and realize, oh, I should have thought first. And so it's not my normal thing, but, but I, I paused for a minute and started thinking, I wonder, I wonder if gratitude really is the ultimate goal for my daughter. I wonder if gratitude is the ultimate goal for, for me. In fact, I realized, I realized that gratitude was good, but, but there might be something even greater than being grateful. 
As I was on that plane, um, thinking about this idea, a parable that Jesus told kind of popped into my mind, which I know is like super kind of Christian dorky, but I'm a professional Christian, so this is what I do. So I'm thinking about this idea, and there's this parable that Jesus told. Um, Matthew, he's one of the disciples, he wrote down this parable for us. He was there when Jesus told this, this story. Now, I don't know if you know what parables are. Jesus always taught in parables because there were stories, earthly stories. There were made-up stories where they had heavenly or kingdom of God kind of uh, reasons for them, right? There were lessons to be learned about things way bigger than us. And, and in the parables, God is always represented by one of the characters. Okay, just, you know, spoiler alert. God's always the really good character. And then people are the other characters in the story. Usually people like us. Sometimes it was the Pharisees that were the characters. And so in this story, Jesus tells the, the point was so beautiful. And, 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 and God in the story is this wealthy master. And there are these three servants that represented people just like, like us. And as I thought about this parable, something about gratitude just really jumped out to me in it. So, so here's what Jesus said that Matthew wrote down. Here's the parable that he kind of taught. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man, this is God, going on a long trip. He called together his servants, people like us, and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Now, this is a really big deal. I mean, this would be a big deal for us today. 2,000 years ago, really big deal. I mean, money, wealth was incredibly scarce. And if you had extra, you were in the top 0.1% of people. I mean, so the fact that this man had so much money, he needed to get three servants to manage it for him while he was gone. Because you can't just leave it in the cupboard, right? They didn't have banks. I mean, so he entrusted with these three servants all of his wealth. And it was extensive wealth, probably millions of dollars in today's money. So this, this God character, this man, this wealthy man, entrust to these three servants basically all of these gifts for them. But he, he doesn't divide it up kind of fairly or, or evenly. Jesus says in the parable, he, he gave five bags of silver to one of the servants. He gave two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. This is one part of the story I really don't love. It's like a, a subplot in the story where Jesus is reminding everybody, like us included, that, that when God was handing out gifts and abilities and skills, that he wasn't trying to be fair, that, that he gave some people more than others. He, he blessed some people more than others, not because they were necessarily more blessable, but it's just because of how God does things, that, that some people are five-bagger people and some are two-bagger people and some are one-bagger people. In fact, just for a second, can, can you just imagine for a minute, what, what would it be like? Like, how would you feel? How would you feel if you were one of those five-bagger servants? Like, if you were the five-bagger servant, how would you feel? Now, imagine yourself, you're standing there. The, 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 the master has just given you five bags. The guy beside you gave two, the guy beside him, he gave one, and you're standing there holding your five bags and you're looking over your shoulder. How would you feel standing there? I think you'd feel grateful. I think you'd feel grateful. Because you'd look around and go, wow, like, he must really trust me. I must be really special. Look how much I have compared to them. I mean, it's sweet that they have something, but look how much I have. If I can really quick go back to Ecuador, um, I hate to even admit this, but it's, it's, it's just true. I, I think when I said yes to this trip, I, I was really saying yes to 
the five-bagger Americans going down to the one-bagger Ecuadorians, and we're going to help them, those poor people with the one bag. We have five bags. Look how great we are. Look how rich we are, right? We're going to go help the poor one-bagger people, and we're going to feel grateful because we're going to see that we're holding five bags, and we're going to see people with one or even no bags. My daughter's going to come back so grateful because of that. I mean, how icky is that? But this is how we kind of think, right? Keep, keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that in a second. Okay, the story continues. The, the parable continues. Then the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned five more, which is a really big deal. Then the servant with two bags of silver also went to work, and he earned two more. But the servant, but the servant who received the one bag of silver, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. Now, hiding the master's money is kind of like hiding anything that God gives you. Taking the gifts, whether it's one bag or two or five, it doesn't matter, and, and hiding it. Now, it seems ridiculous in the context of the story, especially when you know what the five-bagger and the two-bagger people did. But hiding money wasn't that weird back then. Because, again, it was so valuable that you would want to bury it, to protect it from being stolen so you couldn't be robbed. But, of course, that doesn't really seem like the best thing to do. After a long time, Jesus says, the master, he returned from his trip and he called the servants to him. And he said, give, give an account of how you have used my money. So, so the five bag guy comes up and he goes, master... Thank you for entrusting me with five bags. I have invested your five bags, and here are five more bags of silver. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. We should celebrate because of what you've done. Well, of course, the two-bagger guy, he gets real excited because he just saw what happened. And he goes, master, you gave me two bags. I also went to work and, and created two more bags. Here is four bags of silver. Master says, hey, way to go. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Of course, the, the one-backer guy, he's got a shovel in his hand still, right? And he kind of comes up to G, and he comes up to, to, the, to the servant. The servant, sorry, comes up to the master. Then the servant with a bag of silver, he came up and he said, and if there was a soundtrack to this, it's the Jaws soundtrack. Because he's walking up and he knows what's about to happen, Right? He comes up to him and he says, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. We don't even know that this is true. <laughs> he seems like a pretty awesome guy. And he's giving his silver away to servants and celebrating that they did something good with it. He's throwing a party for everybody. I mean, it didn't seem like he's that harsh. But when you live in fear and you live from a kind of a poverty standpoint, when you think poverty, you think this way. The servant continues, he says, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. It's a little dirty, but it's all here. <laughs> well, of course, the master isn't too excited about that, right? In fact, burying what you have is like burying anything that God has given you. And, and God doesn't seem to like think it's a good thing to bury the talent, bury the gifts, bury the skill, bury anything that God has given you for, as you remember, the parable was about the kingdom of God. So the master kind of responds, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops. I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? 
I mean, at least if you'd have done that, at least I could have gotten some interest on it. It had a version of banking, nothing like ours, right? But something like that. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. Now look at this last part. He says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. Jesus is making a point. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away from them. Here's why this parable came to mind when I was on the flight home with my daughter from Ecuador. Because when I thought about this parable, I didn't remember Jesus building the story around gratitude at all. I mean, and I'm sure that they were grateful. Like, I'm sure the five-bagger guy was grateful, the two-bagger person, the one. I'm sure they were, they were grateful. But, but like, at no point does it say to those who are grateful with what they are given, more will be given to them. It, it says that to those who use well, to those who use well. When I was flying home, I began to really think about the difference between gratitude and maybe this other thing that could be possibly, possibly better than just, just being grateful. And you know what I realized? I realized that building gratitude through comparison, it only works in one direction. Think about this for a minute. Building gratitude through comparison only works in one direction. We're, we're in Ecuador. And my daughter is looking at poor little children who have nothing to eat, and she's realizing she has all the turkey sandwiches she can handle. She feels really grateful until she gets back home and realizes that her friend got a brand new car. And now she's not grateful anymore. Like you're grateful when you're in the middle, and you're grateful when you see people who have less, but then you see people who have more. What happens to your gratitude? Like I realize that gratitude built by comparison really doesn't hold up in the long term. That gratitude is a really important step, but, but it might not be the end. It, it might be a means to another step that might even be more important. And maybe using well what we have, maybe that's more important than just stopping at being grateful for what we have. In, 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 the, in the parable, this idea of using well has another word that we can use, and it's the word responsible. That, that maybe we should be responsible for what we have. Because gratitude is good. I mean, gratitude is good, but responsibility is even greater. Gratitude is a wonderful first step, but if we stop there, we still stay very focused on, on us. And, and on what we have. In fact, gratefulness spotlights what we have. Gratefulness spotlights what I have. I'm grateful for what I have. I'm grateful for the things that I have been blessed with. I'm grateful for what God has given to me. But, but gratitude is still very self-focused. And, and you probably know this, but the kingdom of God is not self-focused. The kingdom of God is other people-focused. So, so gratitude, gratitude focuses you on what you have, but responsibility, responsibility focuses us on using well what we have. You know what I love so much about this? Is that if we get stuck in gratitude, we'll be grateful at times when we see we have more than someone else. We may feel ungrateful when we see people with other things, with better things, with more things. 
But, but being responsible doesn't have anything to do with comparison, does it? Being responsible means that we use well what we have, regardless of how much we have. B being responsible with what we have means that we use what we have been given for the benefit of others and for the benefit ultimately of the kingdom, even if other people have more and even if other people have less. My, my favorite quote about this, Andy Stanley actually said it, my friend Andy, here's what he said. He, he said that what you have, and this is so true, what you have matters less than what you do with what you have. Now, if you're like me, that's not how we typically think, right? Like we typically think if I had more, I would. If I had more than I could, but let me let's just be honest really quick. We're in church, so be honest. How much is enough? How much is enough? I know the answer, a little bit more. That's the answer for all of us. How much is enough? A little bit more. The, the, the one bagger person can so easily say, I don't really feel like I need to use well the one bag, but if I had two bags, the two bag person could just as easily say though, I mean, I know I have more than the one bag, but I don't have five bags. If I just had more, I would be able to. If I just had more, I would be able to help more. If I had more time, I would be able to. If I had more income, if I had more revenue, if I had more opportunity, if I was smarter, if I was more creative. But, but what if what you have matters less than what you do with what you have? And what if being grateful is a wonderful step that leads to something even greater? responsibility, using well, stewarding what you have. When I started thinking about this with my daughter, a few days later, I kind of started asking her about this. And I remember saying to her, I was like, hey, hon, um, I know that you have more than the people we saw in Ecuador. I also know that there are people living down the street who have more than you do. So I wonder if we should be grateful because we have more than them or if we should be sad that we don't have as much as they do, or I wonder if we could figure out how to use what we have to benefit somebody else. And I don't know if you've ever done this with your kids, but have you ever started teaching your kids something and you realize you're really just teaching yourself? I realized as I was talking to her that I'm just as bad, maybe worse, because I know a lot more people and I know a lot more people who have less than we do. I know a lot of people who have more than we do. I mean, social media is the worst about this, right? I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful you're on a European vacation while I'm staying at home. That's amazing, you know? I'm so grateful you got a brand new Jeep. I'll never probably have a Jeep. It's the thing I want more than life. I would give my left arm for one, but that's okay. You know, like you, you have four of them. Way to go. You know, like I'm the worst about that. It's so easy for me to look around and think, well, look how much they have. And you know what the next thought is? If I had what they had, I would be better stewards. If I had the money they had, I would give more. If I, if I, if I. And the reality is that God isn't concerned about the, what would you do if you had? I think what God's concerned with, well, what will you do with what you have? So that's the real question, right? Like, what has God given to you? Not compared to others, but, but what has he just given to you? What has God given to you? And how can you use it well? 
how can you use it well? And I know that other people have more, and I know that other people have less. That doesn't even matter. Who cares about the other people? Just, just you. What has God given you? And how can you use it for the benefit of somebody else? How can you use it for the benefit of the kingdom? How can you become focused on something more than what you have? Because let's be honest, some of us probably are one-bagger people, and that's not a bad thing, because we can use that one bag, and we can leverage it for the benefit of others. Some of us have been given two, and we can use those two bags, and we can use it for the benefit of others, for the benefit of the kingdom. Some of you have unbelievable wealth. Some of you are so talented. Some of you have been given unique, special gifts. And maybe you've wondered your whole life, why did God give me this? Well, this is the reason. Because he wanted you to steward it and use it well for the benefit of others and for the benefit of of the kingdom. So gratitude is a wonderful first step, but it's a step that leads to something even greater, responsibility. So what do you have? How can you use it well? Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thanks so much for really for giving us what we have. <laughs> we, we are all so incredibly blessed, and we don't feel that way because we look around and see people who are more blessed, we think, and we assume that we don't have enough because we see others with more. But the reality is that, God, you have given us exactly what you want us to have. You have shaped us the way you've shaped us. You've given us skills and our personalities. I mean, everything we have, God, you gave to us for a reason, and you're the reason. And other people are the reason, and the kingdom is the reason. And so, Father, I, I pray that maybe instead of comparing what we have to others, that we'll just decide to steward what we have for others and for the benefit of the kingdom of God. But thank you for what we have. And thank you that we can be grateful. And thank you that we can use it well. And God, I just pray that you'll give us all wisdom to kind of think through that, know what to do with it. And maybe the hardest thing, God, give us courage to, to do that. Give us courage to see what we have the way that you see it and to use what we have, maybe for the reasons that you gave it to us in the first place. God, we love you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me at RCC. Always a fun time to see you guys. See you next time.